Hello, hello, and welcome to the Mental Health Mic. I am your host, Terry Ferguson, therapist, mindset coach, mentor, and author. The Mental Health Mic is putting mental health issues on blast, reducing stigma, and providing simple strategies to improve your mindset, increase your health and your happiness, and catapult your life. Let's get started. Welcome back. And today's episode, we'll be talking about the top 10 most frequently asked questions about mental health therapy. Let's start with one of the most important questions so that we all can get a good understanding and start on the same page. That question is, what is mental health? And honestly, it's the cause for some confusion for some people. The simple answer is mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, how we feel, and how we act. Repeat after me. It's all connected. That's right. It is all connected. And I'm not talking about an episode of Manifest either. (laughs) We are one human system, and systems are all connected. What happens to one part of the system affects the others. Mental health can be confusing because it's not tangible. It's not something we can experience with our senses. We can't touch it. We can't taste it. We can't hear it. We can't see it. When we can experience things with our senses, it makes them easier to understand because we usually seek to associate it with something that's familiar to us. But we can't do that with mental health. So it makes it a bit scary. We fear what we don't understand. I am really hoping that through this podcast, I can help to make mental health and therapy less scary for you. Now, since the pandemic, we've heard so much about mental health. It's already on blast. But I wonder if our understanding about what it is has increased along with our exposure to it. Hmm. That's something to think about. Today, I really want to take time to address frequently asked questions about mental health therapy. Now, the questions are those that I generally receive when someone either visits my website or calls about services or talks to me in person. I also did a little digging to see what types of questions people ask in their Google searches about therapy, just to make sure I cover the topic thoroughly. So now that we're all on the same page about what mental health is, let's start our countdown of frequently asked questions. Number 10, does counseling really work? The short answer is counseling works if you work it. I personally have seen great success with my clients. It means so much to me to know that I've contributed to improving someone else's life. And I've literally had people say that to me. It's, it's just priceless. At the same time, I've had some clients who did not make the progress I had hoped for. This is always sad for me, but I know ultimately it is the client's choice to do the work to create the change. If they're all in, I'm all in with them. Therapy involves courage, 
honesty, and work. It involves way more than laying on someone's couch the way it's depicted on the big screen. It involves you being willing to look closely at yourself, your behaviors, attitudes, feelings, and relationships. Deciding for yourself that you want things to change for the better and committing to going through the process of doing the work, that's what therapy is all about. This is not physical labor, although at times it may feel that way. It is emotional and intellectual work, and it is not to be taken lightly. There are over 50 different therapeutic approaches. Some of these approaches are well-researched and have a lot of documented evidence of success. However, there are no magic wands. You have to put in the work consistently to see lasting results. Number nine, have you ever dealt with anyone with issues like mine? When people enter therapy, they typically feel as though no one else has ever experienced what they have. As a result, the person can harbor resentments, shame, guilt, self-hatred, anger, fear, and many more feelings. It is not easy to acknowledge that a life situation may have left you alone with feelings that are really uncomfortable. A good therapist will help you to understand that although they may not have experienced your exact situation, they understand what it feels like to feel shame or guilt, anger, or self-defeat. It's called empathy. Make sure the therapist you select has the ability to really show that. Number eight, how often will I have sessions? I typically encourage first-time clients to meet weekly or bi-weekly according to their budget. Sometimes clients will ask, what about monthly? I know by that question that the person is not ready to take therapy as seriously as they may need to do. So I encourage them to reevaluate. Why are they seeking therapy at this time? Very few people have the discipline necessary to maintain gains after only one session per month. I don't want clients to waste their money, and I definitely don't want to waste my time. Success and effectiveness is not only based on the therapist's technical abilities. It's also based on their ability to establish rapport and build an authentic relationship with the client. That leads to a safe atmosphere of trust. And sometimes the client coming into therapy has never experienced that. That's healing that occurs right there. Change is not easy. So as a client, you have to be intentionally committed to the process and willing to be held accountable by your therapist in order to see lasting results. Number seven. Will I have to take medication? This is such a scary issue for a lot of people. Depending upon the intensity and duration of your symptoms and the degree to which they interfere with your ability to function from day to day, your therapist may refer you to a psychiatrist for medication. Some may refer you to your medical doctor. 
I personally prefer a psychiatrist because psychiatric medications and mental health issues are their area of specialization. And I really do want the best for my clients. Medication is not the first recommendation. However, depending on the severity of the illness and the symptoms, it can assist with making therapy more effective. For example, with major cases of anxiety or major clinical depressive episodes, psychosis, which may include hallucinations, delusions, and mania, and suicidal ideation, medication is very important and very helpful. In fact, it's the best practice. Medication attempts to balance brain chemistry so that the brain operates as it should, or at least as close to possible. When taking medication, you should always stay under the care of your doctor and maintain monthly medication monitoring visits. Always stay informed about side effects and report any changes you notice immediately. Psychiatric medication is not a one-size-fits-all. Communicating with your psychiatrist is extremely important and beneficial to ensure that the dosages are tailored to your personal body and brain chemistry. I often share with clients that medication for your brain is just like taking medication for your body. If you have high blood pressure, you would take the prescribed medication to manage it. Think of medication that helps to manage mental health issues in the same way. Number six, what will I do during therapy? What you do in therapy, in large part, is dependent upon the type of therapy your clinician practices. In general, however, you will work to resolve an identified issue. That involves identifying the issue and then providing some form of mental health clinical assessment. Processing thoughts and feelings and behaviors around the issue. Identifying how you want it to change and putting a plan in place. And then, here's the hard part, walking out your plan through daily application. All of these processes should help to relieve the symptoms that brought you in and provide you with more adaptive, healthy emotions and behaviors. I always recommend that my clients get a journal so that they can journal daily, and I give them a heads up that you're going to receive homework. You've got to be able to assimilate what you learn in your therapy sessions into your daily living, and that only happens through practice, repetition, and review over and over again. Bessel van der, van der Kolk, <laughs> that's K-O-L-K, Bessel van der Kolk, in his best-selling book, The Body Keeps the Score, shares that much of human suffering is related to love and loss. The job of the therapist is to help people acknowledge, experience, and bear the reality of life with all its pleasures and sufferings. I can hear a lot of people now, suffering? I don't want to suffer. Nobody does. However, the reality is that if you keep on living, you will. A portion of a Bible verse I often quote from Matthew 5.45 states that it rains 
on the just and the unjust. Life suffering is not determined by how good or how bad your behavior is. Bad things happen to us all. And as much as we may want to avoid them, bad things just cannot be 100% avoided. I always say, you have the choice to be bitter or better as a result of the bad things that will happen in life. Okay, I digress. Back to the therapy session. During your session, you should be doing most of the talking. At times, there may be no talking at all because we're taught to allow space for silence. That gives you time to process. And think about it. When do your normal, during your normal day do you get a moment of silence? <laughs> Depending upon your symptoms, your therapist may refer you to a psychiatrist for an evaluation for medication, which we already discussed uh, in the frequently asked question number seven. Your therapist may refer you also for a, to your medical physician for a physical to rule out any pre-existing medical issues. Number five, how can I find a good therapist for me? Answer, interview, and speak to the therapist ahead of time. Many therapists will offer free consultation. A good therapist should ask a couple of general questions to understand your concerns and share whether or not your concerns fit his or her area of specialty. If that is a good fit, then consider if you think your personalities are a good fit. Everyone's different. What works for one person may not work for someone else. Some good questions to ask your potential therapist include, are you licensed to provide therapy? That's an important question because it shows that the therapist is accountable to uphold professional standards determined by a national organization. Consider these questions too. Does the therapist respect my boundaries? Is the therapist a good listener? Does the therapist keep his or her personal life private? That's huge. The reason is because you don't want your therapy session that you're paying for to be entirely about your therapist. Also think about whether the therapist guarantees confidentiality. Do I feel comfortable with the therapist? Are the therapist's fees and schedule a good fit for me? And is the therapist patient, attentive, and respectful? I encourage you not to shy away from a higher fee. You get what you pay for. Number four, do you meet with therapists? I'm sorry, do you meet with clients in the office or online? There are many clients who call seeking in-person sessions. I personally have chosen to make both options available for my clients. If, however, I suspect trauma is involved, I strongly encourage the client to come in person if possible, at least initially. It usually allows for more personable connection and the process of building trust is an easier flow. 
Number three, can you help my adult child, friend, mother, father, minor child, spouse, or partner? I frequently receive calls from people seeking help for their loved ones. I listen. Then my pat answer is that I must speak with the person that you're seeking support for. Even if a parent calls for their minor child, the child is the potential client. And my role requires that I have a confidential conversation with the child. If the concerned family member is calling for their adult child, the same process holds true. Why? Because even if you are a parent paying for your adult or minor child to attend therapy, they have to want it and they have to work for it. As the saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. Change only happens when an individual has made a decision to make it happen. If when I speak to a potential client, they identify their commitment to the process of change on a scale from zero to 10, with zero meaning no commitment at all, and 10, I am all in. If they say five, my immediate thought is that maybe they're not ready for this. So I ask them, why five? Based upon the person's reply, we may go forward or not. Here's the thing. I cannot do this for you. Mommy, auntie, friend, daddy, spouse, or partner, they can play a supportive role, but they cannot do it for you. You must want it bad enough to work for it and commit to it. So you can call and inquire about assistance for someone you care about. Just remember, the final decision to engage is entirely up to them. <clears throat> Number two, do you take insurance? If I could have had two number ones, this would have been a number one instead of number two. Most people will ask, do you take insurance? Now, there are therapists who do take insurance, and of course, there are those who do not, like me. I chose not to accept insurance because of all the additional work and hassle that comes along with it. I went into private practice to be free from bureaucracy. I want my time to be dedicated to my patients and honing my clinical skills, not fighting with insurance companies to get paid. I have heard so many horror stories that I did not even attempt to go down that path. Instead, I accept self-pay clients. If they happen to be with a carrier who accepts out-of-network providers, I can provide my clients with a super bill, which is more like a super receipt, to give to their insurance carrier, and then their carrier will reimburse them directly at their identified rate. That does not necessarily mean the rate that I charge the client. It means the rate the insurance company determines that they're going to pay you. And for that final number one question, frequently asked question, drum roll, please. Without a doubt, the biggest question is, 
How do I know when I need to seek therapy? The quick and simple answer is to ask a professional. Simple doesn't mean that it's always easy. Sometimes I think we would rather just brush it off and keep going rather than to take the time, deal with the nerves, and just ask the question. Now, the clinical answer to this question is you'll know for sure that you need to seek therapy if you notice a consistent and persistent decrease in your regular ability to function. For example, say you're experiencing such great sadness that you are unable to get out of the bed for two or more weeks. Or if you were in a car accident and now you notice your anxiety skyrockets as you approach a car, you begin trembling or you may even have flashbacks or nightmares about the incident. Another example could be if you and your partner are constantly arguing and you can no longer enjoy one another's company. Still another example could be if you are parenting an uncontrollable toddler and they're always kicking, screaming, and having temper tantrums and being physical. These are all red flags that intervention may be appropriate. But again, the best way to determine if therapy is your next right move is to ask a professional. So there you have it. The top 10 most frequently asked questions about therapy. I hope this increased your understanding about therapy and made it a bit less scary for anyone thinking of engaging in the process. I would be remiss not to mention where you can find therapists if in fact you want to seek someone out. I highly recommend that you Google Psychology Today or even Thumbtack. They are both national platforms with a sound reputation for showcasing certified professionals. Thanks for listening in. Tell somebody about the show. If you want to connect, reach out to me on Instagram at the mental health Mike, and Mike is spelled M-I-C, or on Facebook.com at Mental Health Mike. I'll be right back here on Sunday with a new episode. Until then, I'm sending you bundles of abundance, positive vibes. Take care.